we're going to be talking about something that, on the outset, it makes sense. On the outset, you go, of course, I understand what this means. But when you really get into it, when we really look at it, um, it's, a, it's a little bit tough to understand. It's a little bit tough to really get your, get your arms around. And it's not something that you're, you're, you're not thinking this. The way that Jesus loved, when we really look at it, when you study it, doesn't always make sense. When we really look at it, when we see the way he loved from person to person, from situation to situation, we go, I'm not exactly sure how this happened. Yet we know this. We know love is important because Jesus literally said to us in John 13, 35, it says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And then he goes on to explain love. And he explains, this is how you love. And the problem is, I think we think we understand what love is. I think we all think we understand what love is, but we all have different ideas of what love is. In fact, if you don't believe me, date someone. <laughs> Wait a little bit of time and you will find out you both have two very different ideas of what love are. Right? If I tell you guys to go love the world, everyone in here would probably have a different idea of what that looked like. And so when we talk about love, it can get a little bit confusing. When we look at the Gospels, you literally see people constantly getting confused by the way Jesus loved others. Because it seemed unpredictable. It seemed different. They're like, but you said this, but then you did this. You even see churches sometimes that on the spectrum of Jesus' love, they go towards one side or the other. And you've probably been to a church where you're sitting in there and you're like, this sounds right, but I feel like something is missing. Because the love of Jesus is bigger and a little bit more complex than we think. In fact, when the outside people saw Jesus' love, they saw it as messy. They really did. Many saw it as inconsistent. Some people thought it was unfair or confusing. And there was this tension there. And anytime we have tension, whenever you have tension in a relationship, what are we trying to do? We try to solve it. We try to solve it, and we don't want to have this tension. But many times, guys, in the Christian life, we need to live with tension. Because tension is what drives us to continue to do the things that God wants us to do. In fact, if you get down the way Jesus loved, people will disagree with you. This weekend, I talked about love in one part of my message. I talked about how, hey, we need to love everyone despite their nationality, race, religion, and all that kind of stuff. And I had a man come out to me and say that I was wrong. And he said, hey, this is what I believe, this is what's going on. And I could tell from his perspective why he believed what he believed. And what happened was the truth of Jesus' love just poked a hole in that, and it made him uneasy. It made him go, wait, so you're telling me this entire idea of what I've focused on, this entire idea of what love is, isn't right. Because when you look at it, there's times where Jesus, he just looks full of grace, but then there's other times where he's holding the entire crowd accountable. There's times where he sounds harsh, and there's times where he sounds kind. There's times where he points somebody's sin out in the middle of a crowd, and there's times where you're, he's like walking around and full around people that are sinning, and he doesn't even act like he notices. And you see Jesus act that way. It's kind of interesting. It's this tension that we feel when we talk about tough subjects. Like, for example, every time if I were to say, hey, guys, next week we're talking about sex, we'd have more people. Yeah. People just they, when I'd say we're going to talk about sex— more people show. I think it's because they, they, there's this hope that I find a fifth gospel that says, actually, God said have as much sex as you want with as many people. In fact, the more people you have sex with, the more you love God. And then guys would be like, yeah. Like, I think, I think people think that. And then what happens? We talk about it. 
And we talk about it. We talk about the truth that it's about it and what God meant for it. And every time at the end of any message that I talk about sex or dating, there's people that go, hey, I feel like you condemned me. I feel like you went after me. And there's other people that go, oh, man, this makes sense. This is why my life has gone this way. This is my, my relationships have gone this way. I understand this now. Why? Because when we show the love of God, when we tell people what's going on, people are going to take it the wrong type way sometimes. And the tension that Jesus had drove people crazy. It drove people crazy. And so we look in the book of John. And John was someone who went along with Jesus. And John's like, all right, what I want to do is I want to paint a picture of who Jesus is. He said Jesus was this guy. It was like he painted this picture of this world, went into the world, but the people there didn't know him, so they kicked him out of the painting. That's who Jesus was. It's like everybody thought they understood what love was, but then when love showed up, they didn't want it. And so we see that there's a tension there, and we see what that tension is in John 1.14. Says it says the word became flesh, that's Jesus, and made its dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. These are the two tensions. Grace and truth. See, John literally looked at Jesus. He saw everything he did, everyone he talked to, and he said, Jesus was full of grace and truth. And guys, this isn't an easy thing to understand because grace says you're forgiven, but then truth says you're accountable. Grace says everything's okay, but then truth says you're broken. Grace says everything's going to be fine, but then truth says, but you're going to have to work on it. And so you see Jesus meld these two things together, and it doesn't make sense. Some of you, this is the way you grew up. If you, were, if you had two parents that one many times was grace and one was truth, and when you were in trouble, who did you want? Grace. Right? You heard them arguing. One's like, we need to send them to military school. The other one's like, we should not be this harsh. All he did was lie once. What's funny, that was my dad who was the grace. My mom was the one who wanted to send me to military school. She had never had a brother, and she thought I was weird. And so, but you do. We have that. But what happens, though, if you live in a family where both people are truth? You feel like you're not good enough. You constantly feel like you don't add up. If, you feel, if you're in a family that constantly is just all grace, what happens? There's no boundaries. You end up hurting yourself. And so actually, the best family you can have, the best parents you can have, bring both grace and truth. And John saw Jesus navigate these pictures. He saw them navigate these things where he was able to be both grace and both truth. Now, what we see is we've got grace and truth here. And I know this illustration is just going to blow your mind, colored water. But let's, let's say this is grace right here, and this is truth. Truth is what that church grew up with. Like, it was all about the laws, right? It's the laws of Moses. It's about you do these things. The Pharisees were constantly telling Jesus, but the law says this, and the law says that. And it's all about truth. But then all of a sudden today, like nowadays, what you see a lot of is it's all about grace. Like, we just, everyone's okay. Like, everybody just, God loves everyone. Everything's fine. Let's not correct anyone. Let's just give them constant grace. And what Jesus is able to do was something they had not seen before, something that didn't make sense. He literally took both together. And I know, for some of you, this is the first time you see this. It turns green. And he puts together grace and truth. And they said Jesus was of grace and truth. Actually, John, the way he explains it, he goes, Jesus was the embodiment of all grace and all truth. Now, here's the truth about me. 
When I am telling someone they're wrong, I want to focus on all the verses that focus on truth. Right? I just want to be like, you're wrong. Deal with it. But when I'm wrong, I want people to come up to me and focus on all the verses with grace. Right? We want to go to one side. In fact, many times we take Jesus' teachings, we take things in the Bible, and we go, well, I want to go to this side, or I want to go to that side, depending on who we're talking to. John 1, 16 and 7 says, out of his fullness we have received grace in place Receive grace in place of grace already given. What does he say? You have received grace on top of grace on top of grace. It says, for the law of Moses was given through Jesus. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Here's what he's saying. He's going, he's not saying Jesus is the balance of grace and truth. He's saying Jesus is the embodiment of full grace and full truth. He never leaned one way. He was always both. See, the moment we understand who he truly is, the moment we truly see who he is. Now, I want to give you guys a couple stories, and you see both sides here. Some of you heard the story of the Samaritan woman. Jesus, one day, he goes up. He's next to a well in the middle of the day. He sends the disciples in to get food. He's sitting at the well. There's a Samaritan woman there, and Jesus starts to talk to her, which is not normal. Normally, men didn't talk to women, much less a Jewish man talked to a Samaritan woman. He starts talking to her. They're actually talking about religious things. Then all of a sudden, he goes, hey, um, why don't you go get your husband? She goes, actually, I don't have a husband. He said, I know. You've had five, and the man you're living with right now isn't your husband. It's like, dang, Jesus. Like, why don't you just throw out, like, her most embarrassing, awful thing about her? Like, right? like this would be one of those things, like, people would go, how? What did you just do? Jesus throws it out there. You're sitting there like, man, he throws all this truth. He's going, yep, this is the, the worst part, the most embarrassing part of your life. I want you to know that because of what I'm about to tell you. And here's what's crazy. The Samaritan woman, according to Scripture, is the first person Jesus told he was the Messiah. He actually said, here's the deal. I'm the Messiah. And what I am bringing, the water that I am bringing can quench your soul, can quench your heart, can heal your hurt better than any man you've ever been around. So all of a sudden, this woman that's filled with embarrassment is so amazed by the grace that is shown. She goes into town and says, guys, you need to meet this Jesus guy. Jesus just called her out on her biggest thing, and she told people they should go talk to him. You see this again with Matthew, the tax collector. Matthew, one of the disciples. The, the disciples were not happy about Matthew because Matthew was a tax collector. You've got to understand, people hated tax collectors, much like today. But back then, if you work for the IRS, I'm sorry. Um, I don't hate you, if you can help. Um, but literally, you see this in the Bible. The Bible will say that there was sinners and tax collectors. Why? Because tax collectors had their own bracket. Like, it was sinners, and then, oh my goodness, they're a tax collector. Because tax collectors were Jewish people that would collect the taxes for the Roman Empire, but they would take more off the top to get themselves. So they were seen as people that sold out their people. They were awful. And so the disciples were going, hey, Jesus, stop talking to Matthew. Aren't you afraid of what people will think? Aren't you afraid that by hanging out with him, people will think you approve of his lifestyle? And Jesus goes, hey, guess what, guys? If you think this is bad, Matthew said he's having a party with his other tax collector friends and sinners, and we're going to go. He goes, so if you're worried about your reputation, it's about to be trashed. Jesus is like, I never cared about my reputation. I didn't come 
here for my reputation. I came here for the person. So you see him act that way, but then you see Jesus. This is one of those that drives people insane. Jesus is up on the cross. He's on both sides. It said he was surrounded. On both sides, there were thieves. Actually, it wasn't thieves. It was much worse than thieves. Because thieves would be sent to work in the mines or work as slaves. These were guys that were so bad, they couldn't even be trusted not to kill everyone around them. Like, these were awful people, and they start having a conversation, and the one guy basically says, yes, we're awful people, and Jesus doesn't go, oh, but you have a good heart. No. He's like, yeah, you are. <laughs> but then the guy says, will you remember me in heaven? Because I know who you are, and Jesus says, you will be with me in paradise. <laughs> and people hear that, and they're like, come on, Jesus? Really? That last second? Like, he didn't even have the moment to, like, mess up, go back to camp and recommit his life to Christ. Like, what's going on here? I mean, a couple weeks earlier, you're talking to a rich man, and you said the way he gets to heaven is he gives up everything that he has. Yet this guy says something on the cross, and you're with him. I think one of the most powerful ones was when Jesus was standing there and the Pharisees came up to him. And they're always trying to trap Jesus. And they bring the woman that was caught in adultery. They bring her up. She was caught in adultery. And they bring him in front, and they're trying to trap him, and they say, here's the deal. The law of Moses says we should stone her. What say you? And what Jesus could have done at that moment is actually go, hey, guys, um, stop trying to trap me. The, the Roman law says we can't stone her, so get away. But he doesn't even do that. He actually goes, here's the deal, guys. All right, fine. We should stone her. But let the first person who hasn't sinned cast the first stone. Let the first person who has not commit adultery in their own heart, cast the first stone. Cast the, let the one man who has never lusted after another woman with his eyes cast the first stone. Confused, bewildered, ashamed, everyone walks away. And Jesus stands in front of that woman. He says, I don't condemn you. Don't sin anymore. But in that, it just... It doesn't make sense. He goes, I don't condemn you, but I also admit that you're a sinner. So can you both be, can I both say I don't condemn you and you're not a sinner? Yes, it can be both things at the same time. We can both admit that someone is a sinner, but at the same time not condemn them. And that's what Jesus did because he was the embodiment of grace and truth. See, this is what we try to do as a church. Grace Family Church, we want the best way that we can to bring both grace and truth. I'll be honest, I grew up in a church that was very much truth because it's easier to condemn than it is to care. It's way easier to point a finger than it is to realize why somebody's in that ditch and help them out of it. And so it's so easy to go to one side because it's easier to be on the grace side just not telling anybody anything's wrong because then you're, they're a fan. You can be friends, but there's both sides. I'll tell you guys, the toughest, one of the toughest topics I talk about is when we go through dating and we get to the point where I talk about how we shouldn't live together before we get married. And right now, some of you are already like sitting up on the edge, unhappy with me. Let me explain. Let me talk through it. And I talk through it because I go, hey, here's the deal. When you live with each other before you get married, that's not what God's best is for your life. Like, God wants something much more for you. And when we do that, we do the entire marriage thing out of order, and it creates chaos. It, creates, it makes it much tougher for that to happen. And so through that, some people actually come up to me, and I have hard conversations. 
And this is what I say. When we have hard conversations where they go, hey, this is what's going on in their life. And I go, hey, this is what God says. And I tell them this every time. I'm like, if you don't change, I'm not going to point it out. If you don't change, you can come back in here and I'm not going to be like, hey, sinner, I didn't point at anyone right here. <laughs> but here's what happens. The moment you tell me that and the moment I'm looking at the crowd, if I look at you, it's pure luck, okay? But the moment I look over someone, they're like, he knows. <laughs> it's amazing when I do that series, the people that come up, they're like, how did you know? I'm like, what? They're like, never mind. <laughs> But we do, and this is not an easy topic because it's the average thought of the world. That's the way things go. And so I, I still remember this call. One of the things that we, we do is when people want to teach in our children's ministry or our zone or middle school or whatever it is, they can't be living with someone before they're married. Now, you can serve in many other places, but you can't teach. And I had a woman when I was the associate campus pastor who was living with someone, and I knew it. So I gave her a call, and we're on the phone, and we're talking. She tells me she grew up in church and all that kind of stuff. And I know, I can tell she's awaiting the question. And so I said, so um, are you living with someone that you're not married to? And she said, yes. And then she goes into her whole spiel. She says, yes, but it's okay. We both grew up in church. We have great relationships with God. We prayed about it. We feel like this is what God wants for our lives. And I'm like, oh, that's, I, that's not true. <laughs> I was like, here's the deal. And I see this with relationships more than anything else. People will say, I believe this is what God wants me to do, but it totally contradicts what Jesus said. Say, so guys, here's the deal. If your feelings and, and what Jesus said contradict, Jesus wins. And so we would talk, and I started talking about it. I was like, hey, I want you to understand something. I'm telling you this not because I want to point out sin. Not because I want you to feel bad. Not because I'm condemning you, but because I want your marriage to be great. I've been in pseudo-ministry for 13 years. I've seen what bad marriages do. I've seen how bad marriages hurt and literally tear apart families and hurt kids and give them scars. I want your marriage to be so good that you're able to raise kids, love each other. The kids leave the house, still love each other, be incredible grandparents, and go through all that. I want your marriage to be awesome. So I'm telling you, the best way to do this is not to live with each other. And I said, here's the deal. Even the stats don't lie. I said, if you live with someone before you get married, your divorce rate goes up over 80%. And we talked, and I could tell she was disconnecting. And then we got off the phone, and the next day I get an email, and it's titled, How Dare You? And she says, how dare you make me feel like my marriage is going to last? How dare you say these things to me? How dare you? And I wrote back, and I said, I just titled it, Because I Care. I said, here's the deal. You may not believe me on this. If you walk in to church next week, we won't talk about this. If I see you tomorrow, I'll give you a hug. I said, at any point, the two of you want to meet with me and talk about this relationship, talk about these things. If you're like, man, we need premarital counseling, we will find premarital counseling for you. If you need any of these things, I will help you in it because I care more about your marriage than I do about being right. Yeah. I care more about that. And the same thing, similar thing happened when last time, two times ago, when we did a, a series on marriage and dating. I had this guy that was a brand new Christian, like for two months, had just become a Christian. I'd say the, hey, you should move in with each other. He comes up after, he's like, hey, we need to meet. We sit down the next day at Panera, and he goes, what the heck, man? 
I was like, what? He goes, nobody told me that. <laughs> He's like, we moved in with each other yesterday. <laughs> so then you dropped that crap on me. Like, what the heck? Like, he was, I was like, He's like, and then you say that thing that, like, if you're purposely living in sin, then God's not going to bless that relationship. He's like, thanks a lot for telling me. I didn't know before. I was like, hey, man, I'm sorry. He goes, what should I do? I said, the best thing for you to do right now. He's like, yeah, like, move out. One of you move out. He's like, well, they're engaged. He's like, we're getting married in, like, four months. And I'm like, you, you serious? I'm like, yes. I said, the best thing for you to do is move out. He goes, what about this? What if we live in separate rooms? Don't have sex. I'm like, so you're telling me you're gonna live 10 feet from the woman you love, the one that you want to live your life with, the one that you find insanely attractive, and you're not gonna knock on her door at 12 o'clock every night. It's like we won't. Which is easy to say when you're in front of a pastor, much harder. You're laying in bed like this. <laughs> so to the best of my knowledge, according to both of them, and they're swearing up and down, they stayed in separate rooms for four months. Is that the best thing? No. Is it what I wanted? No. Did I do the wedding? Yes, I did. <laughs> here's the deal. People have told me before, like, why did you do that wedding? They were living with each other. So here's the deal. Down the road... When they, their tr marriage gets in trouble, when their marriage hits a bump, which it will because it's called marriage, I want them to feel okay to come and talk to me yeah. instead of waiting till it blows up in their face. See, guys, grace and truth can work together in such a way where you can tell someone the truth, but there's grace and tied to it to where they know even if they continue in this lifestyle, you're there. Yeah. But they know what the truth is. They know what the truth is. And when it comes to these things, and the reason that I stand up here in front of you guys, I don't say these things so you guys get offended. I say them because I care about what you're doing and what's happening next. Loving other people is messy. Anyone that says it's not messy doesn't do it right. Because it's just messy. It's complicated because people are sinful and it's hard. So if we want to look at what Jesus meant by love, it's this. He looked at sin and called sin, sin. Then he paid for it. He called sin, sin. He paid for it. And then because he paid for it, he said, I don't condemn you. He said, if you accept this free gift and you know who I am, I don't condemn you. I want you to leave that life. But if someone hurts you so bad that you're stuck in a spiral and you can't get out, I still love you. But if you're in a situation that's incredibly tough and there's tons of hurts and wounds and right now you can't seem to get out of that place, I still love you. If you choose to walk away for moments, for years away from me, but then decide to come back, I still love you. That's the way Jesus works. See, we can't let go of truth or grace because if we let go of truth, we forget sin has consequences. The biggest consequences of sin are relational consequences. When we continue to hurt each other over and over, because sin harms, sin causes us to lose the life that God wants for us. So it's important to have truth because that needs to be pointed out, but we also need grace because grace is what allows someone who's been gone from church for three years to walk through those doors and know it's okay. Yeah. Amen. 
Grace is what allows me to pray after I haven't even thought about talking to God for so long and know that he's listening. Grace is what gives me that way back from where I'm from. And if we're going to be the hands and feet of Jesus, we have to have the ability to give truth, but in grace at the same time. See, this is always the struggle in teaching. Because it's way easier to do either one. Because I can sit up here with truth and hit you over the face with it and go, like I've heard a pastor say, if they don't accept it, then forget them. Which is wrong. Or I can do a message totally on grace, make everyone feel awesome about themselves. And you'll come up to me, you're like, I feel so good, but there's no truth in it. Because if it's true, too much grace, we don't know what's wrong and we sit in one place. If it's too much truth, we're constantly guilty and we sit in one place. When grace and truth come together, it's called conviction. See, conviction, if you're thinking of conviction like going to jail, that's not what it is. Here's what conviction is. Conviction is, I know what's wrong, but I know the way out. I know I did something wrong, but I know God's with me on the way out. Conviction allows us to move forward, not sit in one place. When we love with just truth or with just grace, we cause people to be stagnant. And the church at its best is when it fully embraces grace and truth. See, guys, I want you to understand the exchange. I am going to always try to point out things that I think you guys are dealing with and need to work on. But at the same time, I never want you to feel like we're condemning you. I want you to see that there are faults in the way that you're living your life. But know this, I will always fight for the relationship. We will always fight for the relationship here because we want you to know what's up, but we don't want you to leave. In fact, I want you to believe that not only do you know what's going wrong, but the people around you in this room want you to succeed. See, it's truth combined with grace. When we leave either out, we are missing what Jesus did. It's tempting. It's easy to do. But I think as we go forward, our constant focus is to both be able to tell somebody what's wrong, but love them all the way through it. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for who you are. God, I thank you that you love us this much. Um, God, I know that this is not an easy thing to do at all. That's why Jesus stuck out. It's because he did this the right way. God, I pray that as we see our relationships, as we see the people around us, God, I pray that you give us the wisdom and the understanding of how to proceed in grace and truth. And God, I pray when someone we know who loves us comes to us and gives us truth and grace, we accept it. God, I pray we are always a church, we're always a place that loves on people no matter where they are. But we're also a place that loves them enough to make sure that they know where they're missing it. God, we love you, and we just thank you so much for who you are. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.